the mission is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, and from the beginning, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, from the, uh, the beginning of his ministry, he had promised to build his church, this focus on the church that he would build in Mark 1.14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Hey, Jim, why don't you turn me down just a smidge? Turn me down a bit because uh, I have the propensity to get animated. And at this volume level, it's going to get loud. Um, we have seen, of course, that the promise that he made was fulfilled in his empowering and commissioning of the apostles, right? The work that they were going to do. We looked at last week the foundation, Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They were going to be the ones to implement his plan to build his church, right? This would be built, uh, would be the people of God. The thing that Jesus was building would be his people. The gathering of those who would believe in him. Ephesians 2 verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you, you the audience of the book of Ephesians, but you us, the audience of his word today, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit so this thing that he would build, build, this focus of his ministry would be implemented, carried out by the apostles and prophets that he had commissioned, and it would be built out of people. We are the bricks and the pieces of this structure. It would be built, of course, on the foundation of Jesus' truth and teaching. In Matthew 16, verse 15, he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This foundational statement of the church that he would build. What was the point? All this, we've, we've gone through these things. Why, ultimately, did Jesus build this thing? What did he expect it? And I have us in parentheses there because we, of course, are that thing that is being built today. We are the thing, the structure that is being joined together. What does he expect us to accomplish? Why build this church? He did not build it randomly for no reason. In what we've studied, even the things that we've looked at this morning, but in the past few weeks, we've seen that there was a purpose. There's a mission for this thing that Jesus is building. And of course, people are the mission of the church. We are the thing that it is built out of. And ergo, if it wants to be bigger, if, God, if Jesus wants to make the structure larger, if people are the building blocks, what has to happen? There has to be more people. People are the mission. Acts 15, verse 12. This, is, of course, is after they, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they've come back to Jerusalem. They're having this council. What do we do about the Gentiles? The Gentiles, should they be in the church? Should we include these? We've, it's just been the Jews for so long of God's people. What about all the rest of these people? All the assembly fell silent. They listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. When they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles. That was in Acts chapter 10 to take from them a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, as it is written, after this I will return, I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind, not just of the Jews, may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. One of the central points of the book of Acts. Who gets to be in this church? Who gets to be in this structure that Jesus is building? 
the answer, of course, that James realizes comes to out of the words of the prophets. Anyone from all mankind who is called by his name, who will come and be a part of the tent of David that is being rebuilt. Romans 10, verse 14, the central emphasis of this idea. How then will they call on him on whom they have not believed? Now, the implied answer, of course, as we go through the sequence of questions, there's an implied answer to these questions, right? How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? They won't. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? They won't. How are they to hear without someone preaching? They won't. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? They won't. Right? This sequence of events here leading to the ultimate conclusion, what people need to call on the Lord. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. My feet are not that beautiful. This is symbolic, right? But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Who has believed what he has heard? Not all have believed, but the bare minimum of believing is you got to hear it first, right? That's the point. And this sequence of questions, asking them to do what? Of course, the church in Rome, he's directing them what? Send people to preach the gospel so that people can hear, so that people can know, so that people can believe, so that people can call on the name of the Lord. The mission of the church is people. Adding more people to the thing that's being built. But then also not just adding new people. What about the people that are here? What about the people that are already in the structure? Ephesians 4.11, of course, Ephesians 2, he said what? Being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. What was the point of that? What was, what was supposed to happen? He gave, verse 4.11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints... Saints being holy ones, saints being those who are part of the, the structure that's being built, those who are in the temple, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by speaking, uh, let's see here, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is at the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, when each part is working properly. We've all seen temples or buildings or houses or structures where not every piece is doing what it should. There's holes in the wall, there's holes in the roof, things are falling over, things are leaning. You always see those, you know, you're driving down the road, and especially in the country. And I always think about these, these old, they're either barns or maybe they're houses. And they've been there who knows how long. Somebody built those a long time ago. They've abandoned them. And so they might be totally leaning over, right? They obviously are not providing shelter for the elements. There are holes in the roof and in the walls, and there's no windows, there's no doors. That building was not accomplishing what it was built to do. Similarly, the structure of Jesus' church, his temple, the thing that's being built has a function, but only if those who are the part of it, those who are being built into it, are doing what Jesus wants us to do, right? We're accomplishing what Jesus wants us to accomplish. If we individually are doing our part. So yeah, people are the mission of the church, adding more people, but also enabling, empowering the people who are here. 
the people who are in the structure, that we will be the thing that Jesus wants us to be. Which is what? Ultimately, to be like him. Isn't that what he says here? Growing in every way into him who is in the head, into Christ, that we would attain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we would be the people that Jesus wants us to be. So any church that does not make the salvation of lost souls and the empowering of broken people. You're broken. I'm broken. We are all broken. We are empowered by Jesus. Any church that does not make the salvation of lost souls and the empowering of broken people a priority cannot be the church that Jesus built because he built it to accomplish these things, to bring more people, to enable those who are here. Matthew 16, 18 and 19, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That idea about the keys. Why were they given keys? Because people needed to come in. The doors needed to be opened. People could enter the kingdom, right? Why did they need to enter? For protection from the gates of hell. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This idea I think about of, of, of waves crashing against the rocks. Wearing down those rocks. But what is Jesus saying as the waves crash against? He said it in the previous verse, right? That we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind and doctrine. The thing that Jesus is building is eternal, indestructible. If we are enabling people to be the kind of people that Jesus wants them to be. It's not just about getting people in. It's about enabling us to live the way that Jesus desires, which is why when we're done with this series in about four weeks, we're going to go into a, a, a series on what it means to live biblically, to have these ideas in our minds. Even the focus on people, though, serves a larger purpose. The mission of the church that Jesus built is not just people, it's ultimately God's glory. Now, people are an integral part of that, but it is in service to this larger mission the mission to glorify God. 1 Peter 2, verse 4, well, 4 through 6, and then skipping down to 9 and 10. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to, be, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For as it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That goes back to what we read in Romans 10, right? Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Well, how are they going to believe unless they hear? How are they going to hear unless they're taught, right? This idea. But you, and who's the you here? Us. Thinking about this as directed at you and me. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? Why are we these things? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You have received mercy. And what should you do with that mercy? Proclaim it. The excellencies of him who has called you. What are we being built into a spiritual house for? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What are the spiritual sacrifices? Well, there's a number of things. Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. 
And then skipping to 28 and 29. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We've come to Mount Zion. And all these things that he mentions, things that are unseen, we talked about in our class this morning. The importance of focusing on the unseen reality. Not just what we can touch and taste and sense and smell. The unseen things. Innumerable angels in festal gathering. Why are they in festal gathering? Because Jesus came and conquered, right? That's what they're celebrating. The assembly of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven to the judge, God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. He says it in Hebrews in another place, right? Since you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are the cloud of witnesses? Those who have gone on before. We come to this structure, not these, it's not really four walls, it's four walls and then these giant triangle roof. This is not the thing, right? This is the thing that's seen. We are in this building. But what we have entered when we come into his presence is to something that transcends time and space. Something that is eternal and infinite. Something that is beyond what we can see. Why? Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us thus offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. This structure that Jesus has built is for God's glory. Our mission is not to serve ourselves. It's not even to serve people. It is in a sense. But ultimately our service of people, our enabling of people is for this one purpose. To elevate the God that we serve. To God the judge of all. And so when Peter says you're being built into a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, that we would offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Any church that does not emphasize and enable the worship and the glorification of God cannot be the church that Jesus built. Any church that is focused on human glory, maybe the preacher, maybe the elders, maybe it's just serving people, doing what people want, right? We, we build our, our congregation around what people want. If that's the emphasis of the church, it's not the church that Jesus built. Because Jesus built the church to glorify the Father. What brings him glory? Well, we've seen a couple of things. Worship, of course, brings him glory. That's the most direct way. Evangelism expands his glory. Have you ever thought about evangelism as a means of expanding the glory of God? Why? Because more people are worshiping, right? More people come to offer him the acceptable worship, the acceptable sacrifices. There are, of course, other uh, more avenues enabled by the mission of the church. Peter says, and we're not going to read these, 1 Peter 1, 7, genuine faith which results in the praise and glory of God. Right? That we have this tested genuine faith. We endure trials. We endure difficulty. The enduring of difficult circumstances elevates God, brings him glory. The fruit of righteousness in Philippians 1, 7, which is to the praise of glory and glory of God. What is the fruit of righteousness? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. That's the fruit of the Spirit. When we increase those things in our lives, we are glorifying, elevating, empowering 
the glory of God. Thanksgiving is another way. Now, this is a subset of worship, right? 2 Corinthians 4.15, that we offer thanksgiving to God as part of our elevating and, and worshiping and glorifying Him. But I would encourage you to do that not just when you're here. And really, one of the things I want to emphasize, we're not just doing that when we're assembled. We're doing these things when we're by ourselves, too. And of course, he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do in word or deed, do all for the glory of God. Jesus built his church to accomplish something. There is a purpose. There was a reason for it. And that is the very same thing that he accomplished. John 17, 1 through 6, read so long ago, it seems like 20 minutes ago, 25 minutes ago. We are to do the very thing that he did. We are nothing less than the extension of his will on earth. Remember what he said, on this rock I will build my church. We serve his purpose, not ours. His goals, not ours. His desires, not ours. And it is to do the thing that he did. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. What he's talking about? He's talking about his death, that he's going to die, right? The crucifixion. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Now, we have to be clear about this. I'm not giving eternal life, except I am teaching about it. We are teaching those how to respond to it, to have it, right? That's what we're trying to do. This is eternal life that they know you. That is the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. What was the work that God gave him to do? To teach the lost? To help those who are in the, the outcast position of society? To enable righteousness? To commission others to carry on the work? That's part of ours too, right? To enable more people to do the work? That's what Jesus did. Ultimately, his work in dying for our sins, that's not a work that I'm going to do, but I am going to tell other people about it. I'm going to enable people to respond to that. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Not just adding more people, but enabling each other to keep the word of Jesus, the word of God. As we think about this church, as we conclude this lesson, the mission of our group, of course, the mission of Jesus Church overall, universally throughout the world, but bringing it into focus on our group, because that's who we can control, right? We control us. How much of an emphasis, how much of our mission is directed toward the lost, towards bringing more people to Jesus? And how much of our mission is emphasizing and directed toward enabling us to obey him? To live for him instead of living for ourselves, right? Are we shaping this, I think, this thing around our ideas, around what we want, or is it around what Jesus wants? Ultimately, I hope that what we're doing is magnifying him, bringing him honor. And so if you're here today, we offer the invitation, ultimately the invitation to join this structure. Be included in this thing that Jesus is building, magnificent, majestic, not because we're so great, but because he is so great. He is molding us into the perfect thing that he wants us to be. You could join that today. We know how to do that, right? To believe, to call on his name, to repent of our old lives. We talked about it in class, to put off the old self, 
to be transformed over the renewing of our minds, to believe the things that he wants us to believe, to confess him, to be united with him in immersion, ultimately to live faithful lives. If you're ready to do that, come while we stand and sing.